You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. Uh, if you want to open up your Bible to uh, first, no, sorry, joking, Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter four. That's where I'll be this morning, looking at verses one to five. Uh, we're continuing our series on six distinctives. We're continuing our series on six distinctives, identity shaping, talking about who we are as a church and uh, and kind of what are our convictions. Where are we aiming towards? I wonder if someone could just grab the door back there as the kids are uh, just getting checked in. Be great, thank you. And so this morning, though, we're going to continue on. Last week I talked about fervent prayer, what we want to be about as a church. This week I'm going to be talking about bold preaching. And bold preaching, you can notice the back behind me, there it is, expository applicational. Expository means we want the point of the sermon to come from the text of Scripture. Applicational, we want to not just have a word that sits up there somewhere, but how do we live it out? That's what we want our preaching to be. Uh, this, this message, bold preaching, actually, I developed this message in uh, the summer of 2020 as we were uh, kind of sharing the vision of our church, coming to Red Deer, having barbecues at the Davidson's place, and uh, and just like, how do I articulate what is bold preaching? So I actually developed this message. I preached it a few times. I actually preached it at the Dome January 1st, 2021. So for those who have good memories, you're like, I've heard this before. You have. And, uh, and if you could tell me my points ahead of time, I'll preach something else right now. No, I won't. That would be, I won't do that. But uh, so maybe you've already heard it before, but I want to continue to articulate what is bold preaching and uh, I, I really had to think through it, um, and so we're going to 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. It's, if you know anything uh, in Scripture, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. The Apostle Paul, he wrote uh, 13 letters in the New Testament, planted a, a bunch of churches, uh, was very significant in the spreading of Christianity uh, in the early church. The Apostle Paul, his last letter, he's about to die. He knows his time is up. His, it's very limited on this earth, and he's like, what's he going to say, right? Anyone who on their deathbed, what's the advice that they give, they pass on? That's kind of what we get from Paul to Timothy. That's, I think it's so interesting what he has to say to Timothy as he's like, he knows his days are numbered, he knows he's finished well. I want us to note his advice to him, see how God has called us uh, to build his church. If you want to stand with me as we read God's word here this morning, Looking at uh, 2 Timothy 4, I'll read 1 to 8 for context. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. 
I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. Just before uh, going on any further, I'd just like to, again, go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, I, I love you. I thank you that we've already been able to sing songs to your name. And now as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak. Lord, I have no confidence in myself, all confidence in you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you would take the, the word that you wrote, and as, uh, as I speak it, apply it to our hearts and to our lives. I pray it would be shaping for us individually and us as a church. Oh Lord, I just ask that you would exalt the name of Jesus Christ. God, it is an impossible thing to do these, these spiritual things we want to see accomplished through the preaching of your word, but we trust that you can do it. And so we're asking that you would. We ask that you would convict of sin, that those who do not know Jesus, may their eyes be opened and drawn to believe in the Son. Lord, for us to just be encouraged in our faith to keep going. And so, Lord, use this word to accomplish your purposes, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, bold preaching. What I hope to accomplish here this morning, uh, one, I, I want you first to know how it's tied to fervent prayer. I pray every time before I preach, I pray after I preach. I'm actually praying at times as I'm preaching. We prayed before the service. We'll pray after the service. I'm praying throughout the week. You need to, like fervent prayer is a thread that runs through everything that we want to do in our church. We want to keep praying, keep seeking the Lord. And, and so that is happening as it's tied to bold preaching. You'll see how each one of our distinctives are tied together. So fervent prayer to bold preaching. I, I hope and I pray this morning that as I preach this sermon, that will actually be an example of bold preaching. And, and as I say that, I want to share this quote from uh, an old preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, which I say amen to. He said this, Any man who has some glimpse of what it is to preach will inevitably feel that he has never preached. But he'll go on trying, hoping that by the grace of God, one day he may truly preach. So when I say, hey, I hope this is an example of bold preaching, by God's grace it will be, not because of me at all. And then I also, uh, I want to give us kind of a framework of when I'm talking about bold preaching, this is what I mean by it. Give us like kind of a framework of this is what we're aiming towards. We're talking about bold preaching. Uh, this is what we're hoping to accomplish. And then in telling you up front this is what it is, then you also hold uh, me and other preachers accountable as we're saying this is what we hope to be doing in bold preaching and of course seeking to apply the word to our daily lives only God can do this so if you want to look again at verses 1 to 2 with me I want you to see the charge the charge that Paul gave to Timothy I believe the charge that we are given as well and the charge quite simply is come under the word of God the charge come under the word of God. Again, this is toward the end of Paul's life. This is toward the end of the letter that now he brings this to Timothy's attention rather forcefully. Notice he begins with, I charge you. He doesn't say, hey, Timothy, I, I have something I'd like to share with you. Maybe, weigh it. Maybe if you'd like to do it, 
I don't know if you feel led in that direction. Maybe you can be about this. He's very forceful. I charge you. It's not an opinion. It's like you need to follow by what I'm about to say. What does he say? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. I want you to notice the witnesses of the charge that he's about to lay before Timothy. The charge here is is sobering to Timothy because those who Paul called to witness it in the Old Testament, two or three witnesses were used to substantiate if you had a claim or a problem against someone, you had to have two or three witnesses. We've talked about this before in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 5, 19, Paul already told Timothy this, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And I mentioned at that time, I'll mention again, that's what we have in Matthew 18, verse 20, where it says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. And it's not a verse that we use for like a poorly attended uh, prayer meeting, but it's actually for church discipline. And so it's interesting. So Paul, before he lays this charge before Timothy, he's like, I'm doing this in view of God, the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Those are my two witnesses, Timothy, that I'm, that I'm talking about as I'm about to lay this before you. And think about what he said. He said, I charge you in the presence of God. We ask our children, uh, we're teaching them through catechism, question and answer. We always ask them, where is God? The very simple answer, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. In the, we're always in the presence of God. We need to, like, we are never alone. So in the presence of God, David would articulate something similar in Psalm 139. We know it well. I'm just going to read it for us, just verses 7 to 10. And David's wondering, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, like the lowest parts of the earth, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, eat to even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God's presence is always with us. So Tim, or Paul says to Timothy, hey, in, in light of God's presence, I'm going to share this with you, in light of Christ Jesus. And notice when he talks about Christ Jesus, he has three things that he wants to say specifically about who Christ Jesus is. And I want us to note them. First one, he says, of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Or the King James Version, I like how it puts the quick and the dead. I just, I've heard that before, the quick and the dead. We don't use that language anymore. But think about this. Paul has stated this before. This is part of his normal teaching about who Christ Jesus is. 2 Corinthians 5.10, I'll just read it for you. It says this, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The writer of Hebrews says something similar. Hebrews 9.27, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Like think about the, the judgment to come that Paul is bringing before Timothy. He's like, Timothy, you're going to be at this judgment. This is sobering to you, Timothy. Because Timothy was a teacher. We haven't... The right, James, James wrote in James 3.1, Brothers, not many of you should, should presume to be teachers. You know that those who teach will be judged with a greater, uh, greater strictness. 
Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. There's going to be a, a time of account. Timothy, you're going to have to stand before God in judgment. I want you to hear this. Like, Timothy, you will be there, and so will everyone here in this room. We'll all be there on that day. No one will be late. Do you ever think about the judgment to come? That's the first thing he says about Christ Jesus. And the second, the other two things, and by his appearing and his kingdom. By his appearing, he's speaking of his second coming, the second coming of Christ. That is in almost every New Testament book referred to. If you just think about that, that, you know, those things that are worth remembering are worth repeating. And, and, and God, the Spirit who wrote the Bible and the New Testament over and over again, it's like, and Jesus is coming back. And, and Jesus is coming back. And I want to put this in front of you. And he re- reminds Timothy, in light of his second coming, what I'm about to say to you, you need to pay attention, right? Jesus' last words in Revelation 22:20, 20, Surely I am coming soon. In light of his coming and his kingdom. I want you to note a couple of things just about kingdom. We're kind of doing this, some, building some theology here out of this charge. But it's, it's about this, about his kingdom. Even later on in the letter, it is a future kingdom. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 18, Paul says this, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's like, there's a kingdom that he's going to get to. But yet it's also a kingdom that we are also part of presently. I just want to show you that from Colossians 1, 13 to 14. It's like they're singing together. <laughs> Colossians 1, 13 to 14. Think about this. There's a future kingdom. But how do you enter into the kingdom now? I just want to give clarity to it. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It says this. He, that's God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, that's one kingdom, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right? We enter into God's kingdom by believing in Jesus Christ, by hearing what he did on the cross, even the songs that we sang this, sung this morning, how Jesus took the wrath of the Father upon himself on the cross, and then was buried in the grave and then rose again. And then if those who would believe, who would confess their sins and believe in Jesus Christ, they would be removed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Like that's the amazing thing. We're, we change kingdoms. But in theology, I like to describe it others, as others do. It's the already but the not yet. Because it's though we change domains, we're in God's kingdom. We're not there completely. It's not in its fullness is then we still live in this world, in this broken world. We're still broken. We're not yet completely made new. And it's by sharing the gospel and seeing people bow the knee to Christ that God's kingdom expands. Right? That's, That's how God's kingdom expands. It's not through doing good works, though we should. It's not through feeding the poor, though we should. It's not through getting into parts of government to uh, make sure we have righteous legislation, though we should, is by sharing the gospel and people believing in Jesus Christ. That's how God's kingdom expands. But we know it's not yet fully here, not till he returns again. And he sets all things right. 
So, sorry, that's just the theology of this. So the charge that's put in front of Timothy, do you think that in any way, shape, or form he would say no to what comes next? Right? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge the living and the dead, and his coming and his kingdom. What does he have to say next? I want us to see. But just before I go there in just a second, so Paul is saying, like, look at what's coming in the future. This should change how you're acting right now. Do you think on eternal things? Does it motivate how you live now? Does it change how we spend our time, our money, what we value, what we prioritize? Friends, we aren't building our own kingdom. We're looking for the one to come. This is temporal. We are passing through. And just, just think about that there's a judgment to come. It doesn't, like it, it doesn't hit my heart as it should. I, I read it. I'm preaching it. It's, Lord, let it rock me. That I'm going to stand before you in judgment. Well, we're all going to stand before God in judgment on that day. That every single person, and that should motivate us to share the gospel. It should motivate us to make Christ's name known while we can. But how do you keep an eye on eternity, one eye on eternity, one eye on the present? It, it won't come through Disney+. Plus. <laughs> it won't come through watching sports. It won't come from having great success at work, whatever your hands find to do. It comes through sitting under the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God. So I, not, I want you to just notice again, so the charge put to Timothy, and what was the charge to obey? In verse 2, He says, preach the word. Preach the word. And, and here I want to take a moment, I want to drill down on that. I want us to kind of think of a theology of preaching. In our day of pragmatism, as people saying, if it, if it just works, just do it. If it has a result, don't think through it. Even in the church, there's been like some growth ideas. Like, hey, how can we just bring more people in, bring more people in? What are the latest trends? What do we see Paul called Timothy to do? Preach the word. He doesn't say, hey, be hip. He doesn't say, know, know the culture. He doesn't say, I, well, actually watch how you describe certain things. You don't want to offend people as you bring them in. He says, preach the word. And I want to drill down on this. What is preaching? I've said it before. It's heralding. It's proclaiming. This word heralding, it's like the in old times past, the king had a message and he'd send his messenger somewhere and they would have to like get everyone's attention and say, this is a message from the king and have to repeat it. That's heralding, that's preaching. Not like, hey, I, I have an opinion. I, I have something I'd like to share with you. The king kind of said this. No, it's like we need to make his message known. That is preaching that is proclaiming it's not preach my story it's not preach self-motivation it's not preach an opinion what does it say it says preach the word preach the word what is the word it's defined here actually within this letter in second timothy 3 16 and 17 many of us know this well all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Preach the word of God. 
And the temptation is like, okay, do we really trust that the Word of God is sufficient as we stand and as we explain it to, to meet our needs, to meet us where we're at, to do the work that God wants to do in us? I just want to share with you a scripture from Isaiah. I'll just, I'll just read it quickly. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 11. Do you know that this is here? It says, preach the Word. And we're like, oh, really? Do we trust that the Word is sufficient? Isaiah 55, 8 to 11, God says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it to bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty." But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I love that scripture. It just encouraged me. No, we, just, we need to preach the word. I need to preach the word and trust that God will do his work in our hearts and our lives accordingly as I faithfully proclaim it. As we preach the word, we talk about expository preaching or expositional preaching. I want to explain that a little bit more. And in doing so, I want to just bring your attention to the book of Nehemiah. You can put a finger in 2 Timothy. If you go to the Psalms and you keep going to the left of Job, and keep going to the left. The left of Job, you'll find Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. And I'm just going to go through uh, the first eight verses fairly quickly, but just and tell a lot, talk a lot about expositional preaching. So the book of Nehemiah, the, the Jewish people had sinned against God. They got exiled into Babylon, into or ancient like uh, Iraq, and then the Lord brought them back, uh, some of them, to Jerusalem. And as they were gathering together, had returned from exile, uh, a guy by the name of Ezra came and brought the word of the Lord, and they all kind of gathered together. So I just want to read a little bit and talk a little bit about the conviction of why expositional preaching. Nehemiah 8, verse 1, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel, preach the word. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Just notice it was everyone who could understand was there. That's also why at a, a point during the service at times we'll, we'll allow the younger, uh, the children among us to go and they get age-appropriate lessons in the Word of God. And as they get older, like by all means come and sit in the service and let's learn together. Verse 3, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. Oh, sorry, I read that. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Just notice, he did it from morning to like midday. It was a lengthy message. So we could just say, we should preach longer. <laughs> and I actually, in, in terms of cultural at this time in Canada, I usually preach about 50 minutes, 45, could be longer. And, and just think about this with me for a moment of why preach a longer message. Uh, in, say if we went back like 30 years, and I'm 40 years, I'm just going to do quick math, and maybe this isn't as accurate. There used to be a tradition within Christianity, with cultural Christianity, but maybe you go to church in the morning, say this, the, the message would be an hour. 
just for easy math. One hour in the morning. Then you went to church in the evening. An hour in the evening, another message. And then you went to like midweek a Bible study, maybe another hour. Think like three hours of teaching. And then times that over a whole year. And then, but what is it nowadays? Maybe it's a half an hour is the norm, if not less, of teaching. And so it actually will take, if, we, if the math is correct, it'll take what? Six years? Six years if you just have a half an hour sermon on a Wednesday morning to accomplish what we used to accomplish in terms of teaching discipleship in one year. Is that correct math or did I mess up? Someone knows out there. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. But just think about that. Think about how much we used to have in teaching. So when I go for 50 minutes, I, there's, there's lots to say. There's a lot more to say. And I hope we can grow in the ability to learn to sit still. I can sit still and watch two hours of garbage in a movie. And I know it's not as flashy, there's not changing scenes, but this is the word of God. And so we, can we grow in the ability to learn? So I'm just reading this story, pulling a few things out of it here in Nehemiah. And look at verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. This is where you get the pulpit. Right? Just, just think about it. The platform made for the purpose to share the law. And look, just look at verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood to honor the word. This is where we get that tradition in the morning when we open up God's word to read and we stand together. It's actually from this text. I just want to point that out to you. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord, their faces to the ground. And I want you to just note, for the sake of time, uh, the middle of verse 7, there's this group of guys, the Levites, the priests, and they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They went around and helped to give people understanding. In verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Or a footnote, if you have in your Bibles, under clearly, they gave the, helped them understand the law of God clearly, or it could also be translated, or with interpretation, or paragraph by paragraph. They went around paragraph by paragraph and helped people understand what was being said. That's what we hope to do when we exposit Scripture. It just means to take what's there, to take out what's there. That's why I preach from the ESV, English Standard uh, version of the Bible. It's more literal. It's more word for word. And then so we seek to understand what has God said to us through the text. So there, I just kind of just went to Nehemiah 8, one day, just to show you a number of things. Why do we do the things that we do? Just to show you. So of course, uh, going back there to uh, Timothy here in a second, topical sermons can have their place. There's a time where you're like, I just need to speak about this specific topic and pull it out. Even as I'm kind of doing here, pausing in the midst of this sermon, pulling out preaching. And we're going to go back to the text here in a moment. But I, I want us to think, God has given us the word in 66 books. Right? The, the Bible is 66 books. And in these books, there's different genres. God has communicated to us through language. And, and so we want to do our best to understand what he has said to us. And I don't know if any of you have ever, hey, I got a great book. And you open it up in the middle and you read a few sentences. The book would not make sense. But yet we can do that to God's word often at times uh, through preaching. That's why we try to make it a habit going through different books of the Bible. So we have the context of what is behind, uh, what comes before 
and understand it. But just think about the importance of preaching within the early church. I just want to bring your attention in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. <laughs> Again, I just, I just want to point out, in the midst of talking about preaching, expositional preaching, I'm stopping. We're talking about the theology of preaching. And we'll then we'll go back to the text of verse 2. Acts chapter 2, the early church is it got going. Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Every time they got together, that was one of the, the hallmarks. Of what are we going to do? We're going to talk about the apostles' teaching. I want you to see in Acts 6, 4, Acts chapter 6, if you know it, uh, there is the, the, the disciples were all meeting, and then there's this argument that the Jewish uh, and Hebrew-speaking widows were being served, but the Greek-speaking uh, Jews, the Hellenist ones, were not being looked after. And there was a problem. They're like, we have to do something about it. And they, they met together. They wanted to meet the need. The need was important. But the apostles said in Acts 6, 4, or look at Acts 6, 3, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. Yeah, there's a need. It needs to be dealt with. But look at Acts 6, 4. They said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. They're like, this is the most important thing that we have, we want to bring before you. If, you. if you know anything about church history, I've been listening a lot to that Steve Lawson, Men Who Rock the World, which I would suggest do. It's very encouraging. If you think about it, uh, before the Reformation, they, the, the scriptures were in Latin. And they read, and no one knew what was being said. But then when we start translating the Bible into our own common languages, the, the reformers, they had the pulpit put into the center of the church. This was our primary reason of gathering together to open up God's word. That's why we have it here from the reformers. And so, friends, I want us to see, he says, preach the word. We want to preach broadly, book by book, section by section, but then very specifically, very narrowly, we want to preach Christ. Want to preach Christ crucified. N like nothing original. We want to preach the old story. 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says this, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, to say, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, the one you've waited for. He got nailed to a cross. To the Romans, yes, that is our king humbled himself, became a man, and died on a cross, was buried and rose again. It's folly. It's foolishness. That's what we preach. We preach Christ crucified, buried in the grave, rose again. I don't know if, if anyone ha grew up and you watched um, Looney Tunes. Just follow me for one moment. <laughs> you got Wiley Coyote, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. And if you've ever seen it, what happens? Wiley Coyote tries to catch the roadrunner in various ways and fashion, never succeeds. It's the same story over and over again, just from different angles. That's what preaching the word is. We want to keep, we want to go in the text. We want to understand what's happening somehow or another. How does this relate to Christ? How does this relate to salvation? Because there's a judgment to come. And it's only through our faith in Jesus Christ that we can stand before the Lord. So very broadly we preach the word of God, very narrowly, unashamedly, we want to preach Christ crucified. Going back to the text, continuing on, preach the word when, 
Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready in season and out of season. It's not so much the two seasons of Alberta, right? Winter and construction, <laughs> right? I love that you guys laugh. Like, we all tell this same joke. I, I appreciate that. That's awesome. And, but no, what is it? It's actually not that. It's actually in a favorable time, an unfavorable time. Preach the word. We need to keep preaching Christ as the only way to be saved in our pluralistic, all roads lead to heaven culture. Like, no, there's only one way. We need to preach the truth of God's word. We're like, yeah, truth is relative. Like, it depends. What's true for you is not true for me. Like, no, no, there's one truth, and we're all held accountable to it. In season and out of season, it means like when our society smiles at what they're doing or what we're speaking or wants to take our head because we're on the wrong side of history, we hold to the Bible as our authority, our rule, God's word for us. Timothy, and for us, for anyone who would open the word, be ready in season and out of season, and his preaching should have three marks that Paul gives him. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove has the idea of, of correction, but basically like correction is, as do you see this as sinful? Like an action, like shining a flashlight maybe on, not on our lives, but maybe a part of our lives. And like, hey, do you see that this in front of you is maybe not pleasing to God? And you're like, okay, I see that that action is not pleasing to God. That would be when it's talking about a reprove. Then rebuke would be like, take the flashlight off kind of the action and shine it onto the person. And say, okay, do you see that, that sin within your own life? Do you see the, the brokenness, the sinfulness in your own life? The word of God needs to expose our hearts, a light like nothing else can. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And then the exhort is more like of an encouragement. After like the light of the word, kind of like, that's, that's sinful. Yeah, I see it. Okay, shine it on my own life. Okay, I see the sinfulness in my own life. And then exhort is like, okay, now walk this way. Let's, let's encourage you. This is the way we should walk. That's what preaching should do, right? As we saw, all scriptures breathe out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training, in righteousness. That's what the word of God can do for us. And, and how should it be? What should it look like? Timothy needed to, and we all do, preach the word with complete patience and teaching. As in it happens over time, it takes time. It's a blessing to your soul to sit under the preaching of the word week after week. It's just like in, in the spring, if you planted some flowers into the ground and you just like, you're just waiting and waiting and watching, you know, like it wouldn't help if you're like, hurry up and grow. Come on. Right? Like that, that wouldn't help at all. No, you need to water it. Sunlight needs to hit. Maybe weed around it, but patience to let it grow. We need to preach the word. I need to preach the word. Anyone who stands up here with complete patience and teaching. Time needs to take its course. Be patient. Let God's word do God's work by God's spirit. That's why I, I, I love this church. One of our, our core distinctives is bold preaching, expository preaching. And that's why we want to see other churches planted who hold to that same value. Who, who, who above all else, like, yeah, we want to gather. We want to open up the scripture. We want to unpack the word of God. So the charge to Timothy I, pr I promise the other ones won't be as long as this one. The charge to Timothy, preach the word. Look at verses 3 to 4 with me. We saw the charge, now I want us to see the caution. The caution I want you to see is don't turn from the word of God. 
And Paul says to Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but itchy, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It's interesting, he says, the time is coming. Because Timothy already experienced that at the church in Ephesus. We have 1 Timothy, where false teachers came in. They're leading people astray. They didn't know the word of God. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They were not teaching, excuse me, sound teaching. What's sound teaching? That's correct teaching. And keeping in line with that of the apostles. Commentator says this, this teaching is called sound not only because it builds up the faith, but because it protects against the corrupting influence of false teachers. So like Timothy, the time's coming. People are going to leave listening to the truth. They're going to go and gather teachers for themselves who tell them what they want to hear. And just think about that. It says here the time is coming. And I just have to ask, is the time now? Just, just look at what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. Understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. And the list goes on, and I would say, wow, that describes our society. He says, Timothy, in the last days it's going to be like this, and I'm like, I think we're there. But then he also says, what, the time is coming, and I'd like to tell you, I think the time is now that we have these teachers that people will turn away from the truth and they will, they will gather people who, like, tell me what I want to hear. Just think about this with me for a moment. If, if you want to be rich and simply focus on yourself always, there's a preacher for you. You can find a preacher who says, yes, that's God's will for you. If you want to do anything you want sexually, and have someone tell you, that's, that's pleasing to God. God's okay with that. There, there's a preacher for you. You can find them. If you want to feel really special and spiritual and that you can be as powerful as Jesus Christ, there, there's a preacher that you can find that would tell you that. And friends, I, this is only going to increase. As in just people saying whatever we want to hear. And this is why we can't be the judge, but Scripture must be over us. An old saint, George Whitfield, said this, If we once get above our Bibles and cease making the written word of God our sole rule, both as faith and practice, we shall sh soon line open to all manner of delusion. What he means is like, okay, Scripture's authority, like, no, now I'm the authority, and what I think is going to be it. Then you get into all types of trouble. Notice again the warning there in verse 4. What's the warning? They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They will turn, turn away from listening to the word. I just want you to note it matters what you listen to. What you listen to uh, influences you. It shapes you. Before I was a Christian, I used to listen to what I would call crap rap. Excuse me for if that offended you at all. It was garbage rap. And it was criminal, criminally minded. And so as I listened to it, I would want to like, figure out ways to make money not in legal ways. It totally influenced me in that. It matters what we listen to, friends or even young people. If you're listening to songs that talks about sexual morality, that makes a mockery of God, it will influence you. 
Even if you're like, I just like the beat, I'm not really listening to the lyrics, it matters what we listen to, it shapes us and it influences us. So just kind of the flip side of that, we're kind of the point here, don't turn from the word of God. Don't be the ones who are like, no, I'm not listening to the word, I'm going to listen to something else. We want to be the ones who are listening to the word of God. So just think with me, how do we listen well? How do we listen well? The f- and I kind of just like quick bullet points here. The first thing I'd like you to consider is when you come to church, bring a real Bible. Bring a real Bible, as in like paper copy, and open it up. And, and the reason is, one, I'm like, let's stand, let's open it together. One, we have the freedom in the Lord to do that in Canada. Other places around the world, they don't have the freedom. But just think about this, though, for a moment. Uh, these phones, everything we read on it is on the same screen in the same place. And they're actually shaped that we would be very quick and not think about anything. Right? If you blog posts, there's three points. We scroll three points. Videos now are 30 seconds. Quick, quick. That's what these are shaped to do. And so you don't reflect well looking at this screen. Studies have shown. What you do if you want to remember things, as you look at this, is it in the top left? It is in the bottom right? There's something about the spatial place of opening up a book that helps you remember more, way more than a screen does. Like science, we say trust the science, but studies have been done. (laughs) I take that phrase back. Uh, (laughs) Studies have been done, and this is one of the best ways to uh, remember things, something physical. I would just encourage you, and you're like, hey, if you're stuck on your phone, that's okay. Praise the Lord, come. If you can, bring a real Bible, open it together. And as you're, as you're listening, take notes. It's like, man, this guy's talking for 50 minutes or maybe longer. You t- take some notes, even things you're like, I don't know. As you're writing and listening, it helps you to remember. And then maybe, maybe once on a Sunday afternoon, you just maybe just look. Look at what you wrote down. Maybe, and I'd say take away one thing. What's one thing you get from the message? You're like, okay, I should apply this to my life. So take a real Bible, take notes, review. Put your phone on airplane mode. It's going to keep bashing. The, I wish I could just smash it, actually. But put your phone on airplane mode. Just because like, just the act of doing that, you're like, okay, I'm coming to hear. I'm coming to listen. I don't need a message from this. Just the act of doing that. Get a good night's sleep. If you're staying up until all hours Saturday night, you're like, you went to church Sunday morning, you're like, I don't know. You're like, yeah, you don't know. <laughs> Uh, actually. Uh, so get a good night's sleep. Come expectant. Do you, do, you, do you come on a Sunday morning like, I think God's going to teach me something from his word. If you come expectant, you'll be amazed the many, the many times that you come away being like, okay, I learned something new. I've been taught by the Lord. And pray. Continue to pray for me as a, as a preacher, anyone else who's sharing God's word. Pray that God would speak to us. And then pray for yourself. Pray for us as hearers. That we would have ears to hear. I always pray that. So just a few things. How can we listen well? But listening well to the word of God develops an appetite for sound doctrine. Habitually listening well, right? Do we want to tune our ears to the truth Sunday morning and then throughout the week? And then throughout the week, like, is there time? Like, when are you opening up God's word for yourself and reading it and taking it in? To know what sound teaching is. When, when, when is it? What are you doing in it? That's even part of our small group ministry is we'll take time and we'll encourage one another. Like, when are you getting into the word? When are you praying? Keeping each other accountable to that. 
So friends, I, I want us to see, if we're like the, again defining bold preaching, it's that the Bible is the source of the message. The main point of the sermon is going to come from the text. I want to be held accountable to that here at this church. And if the Lord takes you elsewhere, that's what you want to look for. As a person who stands up here, does he have something to tell you from the word of God, or is it some other word? It's a good litmus test. So don't turn from the word of God. That's the caution. And then verse 5 in finishing, or the third point, is the call. Live out the word of God. Look at this. So again, Timothy got this warning, verses 3 to 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. Start at verse 5. But as for you, it's like, there's this contrast. Like, yeah, yeah some people are going to do that, but Timothy, you're called to do something different. If you're a follower of Christ, we're called to do something different. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Timothy was to be sober-minded. He was, he was a leader at the church in Ephesus. He had work to do. He planted churches. He preached the gospel. He was sober-minded. He was called to endure suffering. Timothy did endure suffering. We have in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 23, it mentions, hey, Timothy, our brother Timothy just got out of jail. He had to suffer that way, probably many other ways, for being a leader. And he did fulfill his ministry as a leader in the church of Ephesus. We have this, though, the end of Timothy's life, thinking about how he suffered, thinking about how he was faithful. In the Fox's book of Martyrs, it says this about Timothy. Timothy was an overseer, that would be an elder, in Ephesus until A.D. 97. In that year, the Ephesian pagans were celebrating a feast called Contagion, some pagan feast. When Timothy watched their pagan procession, he blocked their way and severely rebuked them for their idolatry. His holy boldness angered the pagans, and they attacked him with clubs and beat him so badly he died of his injuries two days later. Timothy was faithful to the end. He fulfilled his ministry, this call that Paul put upon his life. Now I want us to look at verse 5 and think of that for ourselves. Think about for all of us. You'll notice in verse 5, it's actually four imperatives or commands that Paul gives to Timothy that I put before you to myself as well. Look at the first one with me. Always be sober-minded. Always be sober-minded. We talked about this last week, what it means to be sober-minded, be clear-headed, be self-controlled. So for sure when the Bible says to be sober-minded, for sure then we can think that even though in Canada marijuana is legal, it's getting high is not something that's pleasing to the Lord for a Christian. You're no longer sober-minded. Right? It's not of like, well, can I, can I not? Is it like drinking? It's like, no, no, we're called to be sober-minded. So we're not called to smoke pot. So we're called to be in, a, in a, a framework where we can think straight. I would say something, even if you, if, uh, you drink alcohol, a few beers, it's like uh, you need to be in the place where you're still sober-minded as a Christian. Or, and if we're not going down that road, I think also be sober-minded would be not be encaptured by the media or by news or whatever that thing is. Sometimes we can have something, good or bad, that can just dominate our heart and our minds myself included. 
That's not being sober-minded. We need to be sober-minded. We need to fix our eyes on the Lord. Look at that other imperative, the next one, endure suffering. Think of how Paul endured suffering. He has already mentioned in this letter, in 3, uh, verse 11, he's like, Timothy, or verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. You followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all the Lord rescued me. What happened, Paul, in Acts chapter 14, he was preaching the message, and I kind of referenced it last week, the, the people, because he, they, they healed someone, the Lord healed someone, and they're like, oh, wow, these are gods come down to us, and they're ready to worship them. And they're like, no, no, don't worship us. We're men just like you are. And they went from wanting to worship them then to stoning Paul, like throwing rocks at him to kill him. Left in a pile of heaps, he survived it. He kept going in his ministry. Paul's like, hey, endure, endure suffering. Remember how I suffered. And he, he continues on, 2 Timothy 3.12, look at this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And look at 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That will always happen. They'll get from bad to worse, deceived and being deceived. But as it happens, look at 13, 12 again. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is our road to walk. We're Christ followers. We're following godly brothers and sisters who have walked it before or walking it now. Jesus' words to us, John 16, 33 Jesus said this, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, even I, the last number of weeks I've been listening to this podcast and, and hearing how brothers and sisters suffered greatly their lives, the cost for following Jesus Christ. So it's hard for me to talk about suffering that I, I really know very little about, but I see this promise in Scripture. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer. We can see, the, again, the clash of values in our society. Just when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to truth, when it comes to believing that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And again, with our society, we see these, these things are like, they're starting to smash up against each other. God, give us grace. May we suffer well. May we be faithful to God. That's why we need the church, right, to be built up by the word to encourage one another. Friends, we need to endure suffering. We need to persevere in the faith. Keep going. Keep going in Christ. One day, like Paul, we will receive the crown of righteousness. Paul says there, just at the end of verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But for us, everyone here today, no, we're fighting the good fight. We're running the race and we're keeping the faith. We need to keep going. And, and as we're doing that, we will endure suffering. Then he also says to Timothy, and I think says to us, do the work of an evangelist. But it, the call isn't for everyone to be a modern day evangelist and rent out a space and call people in. But actually, that, the word there, the call is to share the gospel, to share your faith to everyone you can while you can. Right, we have Acts 4.12, there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus, that's the only way. 
And it's like if we have the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved and we have the knowledge that there's a judgment to come that we're all going to be at, we need to keep praying and looking for those opportunities to share Jesus Christ with people. This, this is everyone's calling. Right? We're going to talk about that more when we get to courageous evangelism, but it's not, it's not enough like, okay, I'm just going to invite a friend to church. But you can do that. I'd sit with them. I would explain to them what's happening, someone who's never been to church before. But our job is to share Christ with people. Do the work of an evangelist. And then he finishes to Timothy. I'll finish with this. Fulfill your ministry. Will we live our lives for what God has called us to or will we go after other things? Just think in two categories there. Fulfill your ministry. The church gathered, the church scattered. The church gathered is what we're currently doing. We're coming together. Fulfill your ministry when we are together and just ask, where can you serve or help out? How has God gifted you? Where is there a need? If you're like, you're coming, you're like, yeah, this is my church, then where can you serve? Where can you help? You could ask questions at the Connection Center. Where is there a need? How can I help out? We'd love for you to be a part of what God's doing. Fulfill your ministry. But that's a small segment of our lives, though, right? The church gathered. The big, big part is the church scattered. Just think about that. Fulfill your ministry when we're apart. Who are your friends? Where do you work? Where do you live? Who are your neighbors? Are you married? Do you have children? Who is your family? Like those are all ministry places. Those are all places of ministry. We're not, don't look past that. Those are, some, those are the most important ministries uh, that we have. God's word helps us walk this out daily as the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts and our context in which we live. You're like, how, how do I know my ministry? How do you know your ministry? By reading the word of God, seeking to obey by his spirit. And I believe it happens especially within the context of a local church. That it's not like that people are just like, hey, I'm off by myself and just determining what my ministry is and just going after it. No, it's actually within a group of other believers that help speak into that. And hey, I, actually, I see this gift and I see this calling on you. You should be about that. So friends, I, I pray and I hope it's a blessing to sit under expository preaching as I seek by God's Spirit to actually do that, hearing the Word of God. I pray that God can continue to help us tune our ear to hear God's truth and to turn away from what is false. And that we can live out what we clearly see revealed in the word of God by his spirit working in us and by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh Lord, I pray you'd seal this word in our hearts. I pray you would help us as a church to live this out. Help me as a preacher, Lord, to preach nothing else but your word in Christ crucified. I pray for your grace and kindness, Lord, that we would see other churches uh, planted who would hold to the same things. I pray we would see more uh, churches within Red Deer and Central Alberta hold to these values of just preaching your word, preaching Christ. And Lord, as I shared so much, I, I pray that which is just from me, may it fall to the, to the ground. That which is from you, may it rain in our hearts. And by your spirit, help us to live it out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.